You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 28 is where we're going to be, so go ahead and turn there. We're going to stand together in, out of respect of God's Word. So Genesis 28, and while you're turning, or once you find it, if you wouldn't mind standing, Genesis 28 this morning. Uh, it's uh, Brother Mark Ledoux taught in Sunday school today, and he's doing a, a kind of a mini-series out of the book of Genesis. I didn't realize what he was going to be uh, teaching for a couple of weeks and uh, out of creation. It's very interesting, great stuff this morning. Looking forward to that. And then uh, in a few weeks, uh, I'm not sure exactly when, maybe in two weeks, uh, then I believe the Lord is leading to, uh, for me to begin a series in the book of Genesis in, in here. I call it big church. That's what I tell my kids. It's big church in here. Um, but uh, I, I believe that we'll be starting in the book of Genesis. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a big undertaking uh, to begin... Uh, in that book, but I'm looking forward to maybe how the Lord might would, would use that in our congregation over the coming months or years, depending on how long it takes us to get through it. Um, it took me uh, over 20 messages to get through First John, and that's a short one, so we'll see. Uh, Genesis 28, it says in verse 10, this is about Jacob. It says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. I can't even imagine what that looked like. This is beyond description, folks. And we just take what the Bible says, but I mean, what a sight there in that dark wilderness that Jacob had. Look at verse 13. And behold, in the greatest sight here, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's a familiar sounding covenant that came first to Abraham in Genesis 12. And behold, I am with thee and will, give, will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will keep, give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely 
give the tenth unto thee. What a passage, what a text, and really beyond our understanding and hard to imagine at times, and yet some good lessons, not just about the mystery, because there are mysteries here that we won't understand until we get to heaven, but this passage teaches us something about God that I think could help us. And really, in the end, rather than trying to ask all the detailed questions and figure every little thing out, if you can learn something about God when reading your Bible, you've done well. And this morning, I would like to uh, see how God can take us from a mess to mercy, from a mess to mercy. Lord, we love you, and we're grateful uh, for the day that you've given us. I pray today that you'd help my words to be only what you would have me speak. And God, would you help me this morning, even in my emotions, uh, to, uh, to present the truth and to do it in a way that's pleasing to you. God, I pray that you would receive the glory from what is heard and that you would work in hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Genesis, Genesis 28 is a story about a man at his lowest point. Uh, Jacob has made a mess of his life. We're going to look at some of those details, but just understand this, and, and it's already been referred to in the text uh, when the Lord said, uh, I am the God of Abraham, and he calls him his father. Not that he was his, his literal father, but that Abraham was his, his heir. He was the heir of Abraham. He came from Abraham's family. But Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. He's the son of Isaac. And the reason that's significant is because Abraham was the man that God specifically, out of all the earth, chose to call a man um, Abraham and make a covenant with and promise to send the Messiah, God's son, Jesus Christ, through this family right here. So in case we think, well, it's just, you know, he's just throwing out the name Abraham and, you know, that just happens to be his grandfather's name. No, no, no. Abraham is the man God specifically chose to make a covenant with. This is a big deal to be a part of this family. But see, Jacob had a twin brother when he was born and and I'm assuming that most people in here understand the background of Jacob, um, but I want to give some of it just in case there are some that do not. But Jacob was born as a twin. He had an older brother named Esau, and Esau was actually born first, and Jacob was born second. He was the second-born son, and, but yet God had promised to, uh, to send or bless the nations of the earth and give the birthright and the blessing through Jacob, the second son. Instead of Esau, and I'm not going to get into all the details today, but that's not the way it usually works. Usually the firstborn son has the birthright and the blessing. He is the primary heir. He would receive two-thirds of the inheritance. He, the, the firstborn son was usually the one through whom that God would, would, would give the inheritance and blessing and birthright. And yet in this case, God switched it around. And that meant that this special covenant that had come to Abraham uh, years before was transferred instead to Jacob instead of his older brother Esau. And when you read the, the account uh, in Genesis, the difference in character between Esau and Jacob, then it's really no doubt that God would work through Jacob. Now, I, now uh, Jacob has plenty of problems himself. But Jacob, I do believe... Uh, was an upright man in that he wanted to serve God. He wanted to do right. He just couldn't get out of his own way. 
Um, Esau, on the other hand, had a secular mindset. It's like he had nothing to do with God. He didn't want to be a follower of God in any way. And, and so God probably, obviously in his sovereignty, knew the character of Jacob and Esau. And his promise, his covenant, was going to come through Jacob instead of Esau. And if you think your family has drama, let me just say this. There's nothing that would cause more drama in a family, um, especially back then, than for the second son to, to claim or receive the birthright and blessing instead of the oldest son. As you can imagine, this created a lot of conflict in their family. And so Jacob is at the point that he has really made a mess of things. See, Jacob is a manipulator. Jacob is a self-sufficient, self-dependent kind of man. He has a tendency to try to get things done in his own strength. You ever been like that before where, where you're trying to do things in your own strength and you don't want to ask anybody for help when all you really had to do to get it done was to get some help? And yet there are some in here, maybe some more stubborn than others, that don't like to receive help, don't like to ask for help. Jacob is that kind of a guy. He thinks that he's got to do it all in his own strength. And so he struggled to trust God's ability to accomplish God's will, which seems strange to me that Jacob would, need that, would think that God needs help to accomplish God's own purposes. And yet that's how he thinks. He's the kind of guy who would take matters into his own hands in order to get what he desired. Now understand, I want you to understand, God's plan for Jacob is lofty. God's plan for Jacob is that he would be the recipient of the covenant, that he would receive the birthright, that he would have the blessing. He had come to Rebekah, God had come to Rebekah before Jacob and Esau were even born, and told, told her and Jacob's father, and very clearly prophesied that Jacob was God's choice. Jacob's name would eventually be changed to what? Israel. Israel, the father of the nation of Israel. This is a great, uh, his, his promise from God was as big as any promise that's ever been made to anybody. From his line, from Jacob's line, Israel would come men like Joseph, men like Moses, men like the king of David and the disciples and John the Baptist and ultimately Jesus Christ. So by the time we get to Genesis 28, God has high and lofty plans for Jacob and God is the kind of God that, and we'll see this later, when he makes a promise, he keeps his word. He doesn't say one thing and then flippantly uh, go a different direction. No, if he says something that he's going to accomplish, then he has a way to get it done. He doesn't need us to intervene. He doesn't need us to step in and make sure that things get done the way they're supposed to. No, our God's word is sure. Amen. He makes sure that it is done. And yet Jacob has manipulated his whole life. Maybe his mother, when he was young, told him of God's plan. And maybe that planted a seed that in his mind, he was going to have to make sure that it happened. And that's the reason that he went to the lengths that he did. But he became a deceiver. He became a supplanter. Or that means to take someone by the heel and trip them up. He's self-sufficient instead of trusting God. He is, he's a man that takes matters into his own hands rather than trusting God to provide for his needs. And just two primary examples of this character flaw. We're not going to look at it, but we could go back to Genesis 5 and see that day that Esau came back from hunting. And you've heard this story, and, 
and you know what happened, that Esau had been out hunting and, and he came back and he was so hungry and he was so thirsty and he had been out hunting for so long that he comes back and he basically says, if I don't get something to eat right now, I'm going to physically die. Well, Jacob's the kind of guy that he's always looking for some leverage. And in that moment, you know people like this, it's like they, they're always looking at for, as an, for an angle, um, like, we, like we sang about in Saved by the Blood. I didn't know the angles were rejoicing, but maybe you noticed that or not. It's a typo in the hymnal. Jacob's always looking for an angle. Esau comes in, he's hungry, he's tired, he, has, uh, he thinks he's going to die, and Jacob seizes the moment and says, okay, I'll give you some of this pottage that I have just made, some of this stew, and it's basically beans. I'll give you some of this stew if you will sell me your birthright. I mean, this is the thing that God, gives, that God has made in the Jewish culture uh, to, to give to every firstborn son. This is no small thing. Well, in Esau's mind, he's like, I'm going to die anyway, I might as well give you the birthright so I can eat. And that, that says a lot about Esau, that story, but it also says a lot about Jacob. See, if God's will was for Jacob to receive the birthright and receive the blessing and receive the covenant that was given to Abraham, do you think that God could have worked it out his own way? Absolutely. And yet here's Jacob manipulating the circumstances and saying, okay, if, if you're hungry, I'll sell you or I'll give you uh, this, this pottage if you'll sell me your birthright. Esau jumps on it. Two, two chapters later, Genesis 27. Again, we won't look at it, but you've probably heard the story how, um, how Jacob's father, Isaac, was going to bless Esau and in blessing him, bestow upon him all of those things. And again, so, it's so dysfunctional. Here's Isaac. He knows the promise, and yet he's trying to bless Esau. So it, Jacob hears word of it through his mom. I mean, again, we could go into all these layers. There's mom and Jacob, he's mama's boy, and there's Isaac and, and Esau, and they're working together. So um, Jacob goes, and his father is hard, uh, it doesn't see very well. So Jacob goes, and he puts some fur on his arms. You've heard this story, I know. He puts fur on his arm from an animal, and he walks in to his father, who can't see very well, and pretends to be Esau, so that, Ab so that Isaac will bless him instead of Esau. Because apparently Esau was a hairy guy. Okay, Jacob was not. I don't know how he pulled it off, and I know that, that Isaac had his suspicions, but he ended up blessing Jacob. And again, let me ask you, do you think if it was God's will to send the covenant through Jacob's line that God could have figured out a way to do it without the deception? Absolutely he could have. God would have made it happen. But because Jacob was a man who struggles to trust God and, and instead trusts himself, he finds himself in a big mess. After he's deceived his father and everyone realizes what's happened, look at the mess that he's in. Look at chat back at 27, verse 41, just to give you an idea. This is after Esau finds out that Jacob has basically stolen the blessing as well. And Esau hated, verse 41, and Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of, through clenched teeth, if you can imagine, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, then will I slay my brother Jacob. So now Jacob knows Esau's not happy. And Esau was the man's man in the family. And if he wanted to do something about it, he certainly could have. His brother Esau, his own brother, wants him dead. 
Look at verse 42. And these words of Esau, her older, elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? So his mother, her plan then, knowing that Esau wants to kill Jacob, her plan then is to say, uh, okay, the best course of action here is Jacob, you need to leave. I want you to leave. I want you to go to um, our family uh, in Haran. I want you to leave and go to Laban. And I want you to stay there for, she says, ironically, a few days. I want you to stay a few days. And when the coast is clear, when Esau has forgotten about this, I will send for you and you can come back and everything will just be normal. So here he is, Jacob. Uh, He agrees to the plan. And he leaves home, and he's alone, and he's traveling, and it'll take him more than a few days just to get there. It will likely take him about a month to cross the wilderness. And he's going to a place that's not home. I don't know if he'd ever been there before. I mean, chances are low that he'd even been there before. Maybe he had, maybe he hadn't. But all I know is he's walking alone across the wilderness with nothing to his name, just the clothes on his back. We, we find out later that when he came uh, to Haran, to Laban, he basically he says, I had nothing when I came. I came in empty. I came with nothing. And yet when he, he leaves, we find out that he's, he leaves with multitudes and abundant riches, but he leaves with nothing. He's walking across the wilderness alone, nobody with him. You talk about a low point. When you're lonely, it's about the lowest point you can be. When you're all by yourself and there's nobody there to help you and there's nobody there to encourage you and there's nobody around to tell you it's going to be okay and you're in a wilderness, you're in a mess of your own making, that's where Jacob is. His actions, through his actions, Every single relationship in his life has been severed. He's alone. His own mother, Rebecca, after leaving, we, we, we never hear that he ever saw his mother again because a few days turned into 20 years. 20 years away from home. And we never see that he, that he saw his mother again. We don't hear about that. It's very likely that Rebecca died during the few days that turned into a 20 years. He never saw her again. His own father, Isaac, the, the, his own dad, the one that raised him. Um, how could he ever trust Jacob again? He severed his, that relationship as well. By the time Jacob returns, his father's extremely old and his health is fading. He misses his father's best remaining years because of his actions. Because of his actions, his own brother Esau wants to kill him. His own brother Esau wants no part of a relationship You see, every relationship that he has, he's an unmarried man, he's not married, he doesn't have children, he has nobody left. His actions have separated him from everybody he's ever loved. Folks, this is not a small mess. This is a life-altering situation. And here it is, like Jacob, we are good at making messes. We're good at making messes. You know, if you don't think that you're good at making a mess, just naturally um, come to my house and look in my children's rooms. I mean, I, and I, I, we never once taught them how to make a mess. 
I don't know if anybody in here has had to teach your children how to make a mess. If you did, I would like to meet your child. Because messes just happen. Messes are the things that we just naturally do by default. Some days it seems like I'm cleaning up more of the messes that I make than I spend time doing anything else. Sometimes I feel like I make more messes than I get things right. And you know, it's part of being human. We tend to get ourselves into these situations and we cannot figure out how to get out of those situations. I remember one time when my son, Jace, he's six now, and I know he wouldn't appreciate this story, but he's in junior church. So when he was probably 18 months old, uh, we, we we didn't know where he was. We couldn't find him and and he had been quiet, and that's always dangerous when you have little ones too. Well, we went looking for him, and we came across this bin, a school, a plastic school bin. And Jace was just big enough to get into it uh, halfway, but not able to pull himself back out. And he's hanging over the edge of the... I'm not going to do it over the pew, because that, that, then somebody... It would go viral. It would be on Instagram before I get out of here. But he was over the edge of the, of the bin, face and head... And arms inside, legs on the outside, and he could not get out. And of course, we laughed about it, and we joked about it, and we left him there for a few hours and took pictures, which is what you do. Until he passed out, and the blood was all in his head, you know. No, but have you ever felt that way? I mean, I know that's silly, but have you ever felt like you're over the edge of something? You can't go in any further, you'll fall and hurt yourself. You can't come back out because you're halfway in, and you're just stuck. Just hanging over the edge. You make a choice without thinking it through. Uh, in the middle of that situation, you look around and you think, how did I get into this? And, and it reminds me, you know, when I was a kid, my, my mom and dad used to lo- wa- like to watch things like, you know, I Love Lucy and, and Andy Griff with Barney Fife. You know, and a lot of people, they swear by those shows, but I can't hardly stand to watch it. It frustrates me to death. Now, how can you not get this right? I mean, every single episode. And it seems like Lucy and Barney, you know, sometimes we, our lives are like Lucy and Barney. You know, we just, we get into these situations and we, we don't know how to get out of them. We can't fix it. Uh, and it just gets worse and worse. And, but the problem is, and here's where it changes. The problem is, yes, we get into those situations in life. And yes, we feel like we're Barney Five sometimes. But the, the, the situation doesn't get solved by the end of the episode. It doesn't take 22 minutes and suddenly all the problems we had at the beginning, it's everything's right back to normal and it's fixed. No, in real life, when you make a mess of your life, there are real consequences. There are real repercussions. They don't go away quickly. And sometimes, actually, if you look at Jacob's life, when we make a mess of our life, the repercussions, the the consequences last for years. Ask Jacob. And it's all because Jacob couldn't allow God to do God's plan, God's way. And he's trying to make things happen for himself. And he's trying to have his own strength. And he's he's thinking, well, this sounds like a good plan. This seems like a reasonable way to get there. And instead of asking God's help, uh, it, it leads to heartache. And it reminds me of Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Death. There's a way that seems right to us. There's a way that if in our own thinking, in our own strength, in our own power, we think, okay, this makes sense. I will go this direction. I will do this thing. But according to Proverbs 14, if we trust in our own wisdom, the only end of that wisdom is destruction. And that's exactly what happened to Jacob's family. 
Everything that he had with his family was destroyed. A father was disappointed. A mother was heartbroken. A brother is seething with anger. And as he walks away from them, into the mess, away from the mess that he created, all he can do is wave goodbye to the people that he's, all the people he's ever known. And he's walking from Beersheba, this 500-mile journey, thinking, how did I get here? He's in the bend halfway. He's looking around thinking, what have I done? I have no one. I have nothing. I have no hope of fixing this mess. He has nothing, not even bedding. I mean, look at verse 11. It says, And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. I, I don't know, I've laid on the ground or slept on the ground before. I've never been inclined to take stones and make them pillows. That's how little he has, folks. That's how desperate he is. That He has nothing you know, sometimes the messes we make, they lead to great consequences. And now sometimes the messes that we're in, they're not our doing. I need to acknowledge that this morning. Sometimes we find ourselves in a mess. We find ourselves in a hole. We're on the side of the bin and we're hanging there, dangling there. And it's not our fault. Sometimes trials come our way that are the result of somebody else's mess. Sometimes trials come our way that are the result of somebody else's decisions and we have to deal with the consequences. And I understand that's the case sometimes, but that's not the case in Jacob's life. Jacob's mess is of his own making. He's alone and cold and hungry and sleeping on the ground with rocks for his pillows and he's dealing with consequences that are all brought about by his own poor decisions. He's hopeless. And there in the wilderness when you don't think it can get worse, at his lowest point, he has a dream. And now this dream is not just some random dream like my dreams are, and I have no idea what they're connecting to. No, this is a dream. It's actually a vision from God. Look at verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. This is incredible. The Lord is standing there and says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. You know, that ground you feel literally beneath your back right now. That land that you're laying on, I'm going to give it to you. You look around, everything that you see. Everything you see, Jacob, it will be yours. Look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. And it's through your family, Jacob that I'm going to bless every family of the earth. Every family that will be born will be blessed because of your family, because of your seed, because of specifically because of Jesus Christ. So Jacob's lying there and he's in his dream he sees a ladder. And on the ladder there are angels ascending and descending. And that, by the way, that's just a reminder that uh, we don't see all that goes on around us. There's a spiritual world around us and there's spiritual warfare, according to Ephesians 6, that we don't see and we often take for granted. But there's a lot going on around us that we don't see. And I know for some people that sounds crazy. Well, if I can't see it, I won't believe it. There's a lot that, that we don't see going on around us. And just take it, we're not going to get into it. I just want to mention that today. But the greatest thing about this dream, this dream is that the Lord stood above it. And it's a vision from God. This is about and from God. By the way, here's another side note. There, this is what this would have been. This would have come at the time where there would be open revelation. And by open revelation, I mean that God could come and He could speak to anybody in any way, 
and usually through dreams, usually through visions, sometimes more directly or through his angels. In the Old Testament, that's how he would do it, through open revelation. Well, now then the New Testament came along and Jesus Christ came along. And, and through that, the Bible was preserved for us. And now, folks, we have closed revelation. Meaning that God doesn't just speak to us in every way that we think he will. He gave us his word to do that job for us. Closed revelation. We have everything that we need to know about God, including direction and instruction for life. We have it right here. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. So God, though, comes at this point. There's open revelation. And he reminds Jacob of that covenant that he'd made with Abraham. That through Jacob's family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And here's where we start to get to the focus. Uh, because I want to just kind of take a step back and consider what's really happening in the text. I don't know, we could dissect every verse and, and go through it. But I just want to take a step back and think about this. How wonderful of a God do we serve that in the middle of an enormous, life-altering mess, God takes the time to remind Jacob of his covenant with his family. In the middle of the mess, at his lowest point, God comes and says, Jacob, I know you're at your lowest point. I know you've made a mess of this situation, but I just want to remind you that Jesus Christ will come through your family. I mean, you talk about, uh, uh, you talk about mercy. That God, in the middle of this mess, would come and say, look around you, because of my covenant, everything that you see will be yours. And because of my covenant, I've made a promise, and you'll have my presence, and you'll have my protection, and you will have my provision. Jacob, I've come to tell you that at your lowest point, in your biggest mess, the biggest mess you've ever made of your life, I just want to remind you that I am with you. Amen. You talk about a God that loves us. God keeps his word, and he comes and says, if I've made a promise, I will keep it. And that's amazing in and of itself. But to consider that Jacob's at his lowest point, that God came to Jacob when he was as low as he would ever be. Why did he come? To kick Jacob while he's down? To make sure that he was aware that this was, not his, that this was all his fault? You think it came to, to, to look at Jacob and say, I just want to remind you, this is all your fault. This mess that you're in, you deserve to sleep on rock pillows. That's how we do it sometimes. We show up like Job's friends. And we come to pile on somebody when they've made a mess. Folks, that's not how God works. He came to Jacob at his lowest point to remind him of this, that my faithfulness, to my promises can't be undone by the size of your messes. My faithfulness and my commitment to keep my promises cannot and will not ever be undone no matter how big of a mess you find yourself in. No matter how deep the pit, no matter how muddy the earth, no matter how dirt-covered and filth-ridden you ever become, you are my child, I've made promises to you, and no one can change that. That's all. Even in the middle of a mess, God shows mercy. See, mercy means you don't get what you deserve. You think about what did Jacob deserve right here. He deserves what he gets. 
He deserves to sleep on, in the cold. He deserves to, to be all alone with nothing. He deserves to be shunned by his family. He deserves to be kicked while he's down because of what he's done. He's a nothing but a rotten, manipulative deceiver. He's messed up more than ever. He's as low as he's ever been. He has fewer friends than he's ever had. He's got nobody and nothing. But here, listen, in the middle of the wilderness, when God could have done whatever he wanted to, we see the character of God that rather than ignoring Jacob and showing up to rub his nose in the mess that he's made, he shows up and he reminds him of who God is and the promises that he's made and that I will not leave you alone. See, here's the thought. God pursues messy people. You say, praise the Lord, have you seen my room? No, I mean in your life, your spiritual life. God does not write Jacob off. This is a good lesson for parents. I know for myself, sometimes I have a tendency to, to want to make a big deal when my kids spill a drink at the table. And right when I'm making a big deal, I stand up and I spill mine. It's usually how it works. But I want to make a big deal when my kids make a mistake and they, they spill something or they make a bad decision or, or they break something or they track mud through the house. But it would be good for me to remember how God deals with his children he doesn't write us off after one mistake now i'm not saying there aren't consequences jacob deals with consequences for 20 years there are but god is also willing to show mercy in the middle of a mess patience when someone's in their lowest point love when someone is beaten down that's how god operates folks and here's the big lesson, first lesson, is that if God pursues people that have made a mess, then who am I to, to assume I don't have to? We have a tendency to write people off, but Proverbs 24, 17 says, Rejoice not when thine enemy faileth, falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Listen, there's something wrong with our view of God if we take pride and find joy and we're content and happy when someone else really blows it. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. In other words, be as merciful to others as God has been to you. Romans 15.1 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. The Bible response to failure is to lift up, not to kick them while they're down. If God, who is holy, is willing to show mercy and pursue people in the middle of their biggest messes, then we, who have had plenty, made plenty of messes of our own, ought to be willing to as well. Jesus Christ said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, this is a great reminder today. But the primary focus, really, of this text is on Jacob, the, the mess maker. And just like Jacob, we often find ourselves stuck over the side of the bin. We can't go in, we can't go out, we're stuck there, and unless somebody steps in and helps us, we will not get out of the situation. And when that happens, it's important for us to remember that God pursues people at their messiest. Friend, no matter how messy or broken your life has gotten, God's mercy and his love and his grace and patience never run out. Are there consequences? Yes. 
Do we suffer from bad choices? Absolutely. But God, according to Ephesians 2, is rich in mercy. You know what that means? His mercy is a never-ending supply. And he delights in reaching those who are at the lowest point. Because here it is, at our lowest point is when we are most inclined to look up to God. He wants to show you mercy. When God's involved, friend, it's never too late. I, I try to be a songwriter. I've written a number of songs over the years, and especially as when I was a music director for many years. And, and my favorite story, I have to believe, in the Bible, based on the songs that I've written, I'm not even saying they're good. I just like to write songs. But I find myself writing song after song after song on the concept of the prodigal son. When I think about how God has dealt with me in my life, I can't help but think about the way that he reached me when I was at my lowest point. And, you know, I'm, and I'm not even saying I've lived a tough life. As a nine-year-old boy, I mean, there's a lot of mess you can get into, I'm telling you. But some have come from way further than I have. But when I consider the times that I've been away from God and how he pursues me, that's why I wrote a song at one time called As Long As There Is God. Because as long as there is God, there's forgiveness. As long as there is God, there's healing for that broken heart. As long as there is God, then broken hearts and homes can be mended as long as there is God. You know the great thing about that song, that truth, is there will always be God. I wrote another song at one point called uh, reachable. See, see there's, it's about the prodigal son and how he, everyone thinks there's no way anybody could reach him until you look at God and realize his arms of love are longer than you can even imagine. And he can reach us wherever we're at. I wrote another song called However Hopeless, However Lost, because it's the sheep in the wilderness, which is the same text as the prodigal son. And that sheep is walking in the wilderness and he's lost. And the shepherd leaves the other 99 to go find that one lost lamb. And no matter how hopeless, however hopeless you are, however lost, the shepherd is searching for you. At our lowest point, God comes pursuing. When God's involved, folks, it's not too late. If you're still breathing, then God's still reaching. He's still pursuing. He is rich in mercy, which means there's a limitless supply. And some this morning, he's pursuing you for salvation. Because you are at your lowest point in that you are in your sin. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And God, right now, under the sound of my voice, I truly believe that God is convicting a heart that has never received Jesus Christ as their Savior. God is pursuing you today. You are Jacob in the wilderness. You've made a mess of your life. There's sin in your heart. And right now, all the sin that comes short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. You stand guilty before God because of your sin. But here's the balance. You haven't sinned too much. You have not gone too far. If you're still breathing, you're still reachable. There's still hope. God wants to extend his mercy to you this morning. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came reaching at our lowest point. Some in this room today, it's not about salvation. You've been saved, but God is pursuing you because you're running. 
you grew up in church and you know better. Or you used to be closer, but you've drifted. And maybe nobody even knows. And maybe you draw nigh to God with your, with your mouth, but your heart is far from him. And he sees the distance. It is not past him. It has not gotten past him that you are far away. And listen, you know what it's like to be close and you've gotten far. You've drifted. You know that you could be closer. You know the contentment and you know what it's like to be close to God. And yet you've allowed the distance to come. This morning, God is pursuing you. And it's time to come back. It's time to to look up to God like Jacob did, lying on the ground at his lowest point and realize that God's arms of love have been extended to you. Be humble and come home. Some he's pursuing because you've made a mess of your life and you're in a broken relationship you can't fix. And you've got a financial crisis that you think will end you. And you've got the shame of a failure that you think that you feel every time you're around other people and you see them face to face. You've got the destruction of some besetting sin in your life and it's crushing your soul every single day and you've been wronged or you've responded poorly to being wronged and you don't think God can help you forgive whatever someone's done to you. But listen, today I want to remind you, if God can fix Jacob's mess and turn him from a mess to mercy, there's no mess that he can't clean up in your life. Most of our messes we view like Dr. Seuss and Cat the Hat. And this mess is so big and so deep and so tall, we cannot pick it up. There is no way at all. And that's how we think. But God looks at your mess and says, easy. Not too big for me. You may be all alone and you're in the spiritual wilderness and there's nowhere to lay your head but on rocks. God is pursuing you. You may have a mess the size of a mountain. It's nothing to God. The only limit on God's ability to fix your life is the limit that you, that you place on him. There's nothing he can't do. There's no mess that he can't fix. No, no mess too messy. Now, the imagery of Jacob's ladder is interesting. Here it is that God was willing to bridge the gap from heaven to earth. In other words, he didn't look at human beings and say, okay, you come halfway and I'll meet you. No, it says from heaven all the way to earth which means that he came all the way. Which means he'll come all the way to you. You're reachable. He created a ladder. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Where did Jesus Christ, did Jesus Christ park out up in the clouds and say, okay, everybody that wants to come, you find a way to me and you can get to heaven. No, where did he come? He came to earth. He planted his feet on the ground. And if there's, not a, if there's a better picture of how far God is willing to come for somebody in a mess... That's the best picture I can think of. And that's the image of Jacob's ladder here. And what's interesting is that Jacob responds to the dream in verse 16. Look what he does. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid. Now, not afraid for his life necessarily, but when you get a glimpse of God, you can't help but have godly fear. And he said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. And I think that's pretty interesting that he calls it the house of God. In verse 19, look at it. It says, he called the name of that place Bethel. You know what Bethel means? It means house of God. Look at verse 22. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be what? God's house. 
How interesting here that in Jacob's mind, he makes these stones and builds them up as an altar to mark the place where God met people at their lowest point. The house of God. That's where mercy meets messes. At the house of God. And you've come here today and you have a mess. And God has met you here. This is the house of God, not just this building, not just the people. When we assemble, you, you see the cleaned up versions of people this morning. You've come in here and you're like, I, I'm a huge mess. And I look around and everybody's got their suits and ties and they look so good. But listen, and every one of us would tell you, if we could remove the shine and we could take all the polish off and all the paint that we put on as Christians, and you could see where we were at our lowest point, you will realize that your mess isn't any worse than anybody in this room. And I want to point, point people out and, and talk about people in their past, but I could look in each section and I could have some, somebody stand up and, if you, and say, if you only knew the mess I was in before Jesus Christ stepped in my life. If you could just see where I was, you'd realize that God can clean the biggest mess you've ever seen. Section after section after section. This is a house, God's house, where mercy has met messes and transformed them. You say, you have no idea what kind of mess I'm in. Well, maybe I don't, but if you saw some stories... If you could talk to some people, you'd realize if he can fix that, he can fix me. Today, you might feel hopeless. And I remind you that God has pursued you here. What are you going to do with that? Well, when Jacob found out, he took God at his word. He committed himself to God. He made a vow to give God a portion of all that he'd ever be blessed with. And you know what he did? He stopped depending on his own plans and his own wisdom and manipulation. And he started depending on God. And said, if he can fix my mess, he can fix anything. I'm going to give my life to him. If you're in a mess today, it's the time to go back to the one who can not only forgive our messes, but he cares enough to help us clean them up. Your father is in pursuit right now. The conviction you feel in your heart is the Holy Spirit pursuing you, calling you, beckoning you, saying, yes, you're in a mess, but I am, I am in the business of cleaning up the worst mess you can imagine. If you would simply, like Jacob, once you've gotten a glimpse of God this morning, humble yourself before him and commit yourself to him and say, if he's willing to go that far, then I'll give myself to him. The Father has pursued you at your lowest point, and you simply have to respond with humility. Admit you're wrong. Get things right. Stand up and move forward. And someday you could be the testimony of God's mercy. And you could stand and say, if only you could have seen the mess that I was once in. God has the ability to restore people from a mess through mercy. And his mercy is available to you this morning.
Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.